Good morning. All right, that was my fault. All right, how's everybody doing today? Oh, great. What do you guys think about the new screens? Yeah, it looks good, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, if you're not able to see the difference between last week and this week, I'm going to give you a before and after shot. Go ahead and go to the next slide there. No, nope, not that one. That's not it. That's it. There you go. Huge difference from one side to the other. So, yeah, so we're so thankful to have those. And now you can see it. You can read it. And it gives us a great picture. And I'm even going to attempt to give you a little bit of PowerPoint this morning so you can follow along a little bit easier, at least get the main points this morning. This morning, what I want to talk to you about is how to achieve greatness. All right, greatness. So what is, what's the first thing that comes to your mind whenever you think about greatness? What do you think of? Power, okay, anything else? Power, influence. What's that again? What's that? Okay, God, no, no, no question there, that's true. But as far as us becoming great, or man becoming great, or we look back in history over the men in the past, and whenever we say, well, what are the great men of the past? What are they doing? We tend to look at different things and different qualities that people have, then we say, man, that person was really, really great. And we look at the accomplishments that they were able to do. The, maybe maybe have been a, a great and mighty general or a, uh, or a conquering power in the past or, or just some great achievements that have been done or a great athlete. But what I want us to really focus on is what does God really think about greatness? What does it mean for us to become great? Now, if you'll turn with me briefly to Mark chapter 10, and then we're going to move over to John chapter 13, but I want to get this, get this clarified before we move, move forward. In Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 43, but starting, if we go back to verse 35, what we see is that we have James and John, and actually harmonizing the Gospels, you'll see that their mother came along with them. And what they were asking Jesus is like, Jesus, whenever you set up your kingdom, I would like James and John to be sitting right next to you. I want them to have that position there. Not a bad thing to ask for. I mean, if we're going to sit alongside a ruler, I mean, I'd like for it to be Jesus. But they were wanting that position there, you know, next to Jesus. They wanted that greatness. They wanted that, they have a desire to sit next to Jesus when he set up his kingdom. And then Jesus had to kind of cool them down a little bit and said, well, I really don't think you know what you're asking for. He says, you've got to be able to drink the cup and be baptized with my baptism. You're going to have to suffer for the cause of Christ. But however, that's what greatness is. But those positions are not for me to give. That's for the Father to give. And he says this. So, but Jesus called them to himself and he said, he said, you know that those who considered, who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Very plainly put, Jesus says that greatness comes from serving. Greatness does not come from being served, but rather to serve. Now last week what we talked about was, was no more excuses. 
And towards the end, we were able to kind of unwind what we were talking about. And in order for us to, uh, in order to eliminate the excuses, it requires us to have a proper perspective of who God is, correct? If we have a proper perspective for who God is and what he can do, it really eliminates all of our excuses, right? Because usually our excuses were, I'm too scared, I don't know enough, I can't do this. Just like Moses was able to do last week. He was able to kind of fend God off and buy a little bit of time. But over and over, God was reminding him, look, I'm God. Look, I'll be with you. I'm going to be there. This is what's going to happen. I can handle it. There's nothing that you're going to bring to the table as far as your weaknesses are concerned that I can't overcome with my abilities. And once we have a proper perspective of who God is, then our, elimin- our, our excuses are eliminated, aren't they? Because we have no reason whatsoever that's even logical that says, God, I can't do that. Because God is with us. God is going to give us the resources. God is going to give us the ability to, per- to accomplish his perfect will in our lives. So it's not a matter of can't or won't. Actually, no, it is a matter of can't or won't. Can't is not, a, not an option. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. With God, all things are possible. And when we have a proper perspective of who God is and we renew our minds to that line of thinking, we have to understand that no more excuses can be made. It'll really boil down to what came down to Moses when he said, look, I just don't want to do it. So it's not a matter of can't or having the ability, it's the matter of the will. Are you willing to do what God calls you to do? Are you, are you going to do it? Are you going to say yes or are you going to say no? The, the fact that you have weaknesses doesn't really matter. The fact that you've never done something before doesn't really matter. If God is calling us to do this, are you going to be willing or not? Is what it's going to be boiled, boiled down to. And so to have that proper perspective in mind and knowing who God is and the fact that he loves us and he has a desire to work great and mighty things through us and that he will see his will through, through, us, uh, through us in our lives, it erases the excuses and we have that mindset that says God can do anything and through God I can do all things, so therefore... I'm going to be willing to do it. Like today, in order to be great, we all have a desire to be great. But we need to really renew our minds and have a proper perspective of what greatness is. God's perspective. What does God say greatness truly is? That's the, that's the standard by which we want to be judged and how we live our lives. Now, speaking of greatness, we live in a world that defines greatness as having it all, you know, winning the game or, or being number one. But in God's economy, greatness means to be a servant. It means to serve one another. Those who desire to be great, they need to be servants. And this message is going to focus on what it takes for us to improve our service to one another. Now, what does it mean? What's it look like? And how should we do it? But if we're all honest in this scenario, we all prefer to be served, right? There's no question about that. I mean, why do we like to go out to eat? Because somebody else is doing the cooking and the, and the cleaning, and they're, they're serving us. I mean, we enjoy that, and we like to be served. Because service actually requires a little bit of effort. It requires us to do certain things, and we're going to be talking about a few of those. But we like to be served rather than to be served. But serving and servanthood are the complete opposite of what we con- conventionally think of as greatness. But Jesus says, if you want to be great, then you want to be a servant. Greatness comes from service. Greatness, or being served, is not a symbol of greatness, but however, greatness is achieved by service. The world defines being uh, being great as having it all, winning the game, being important, successful, 
um, financially, being influential, being in a position of power. But that's not the way that God really truly defines greatness. God simply says that greatness is achieved through servanthood. And you got to think about it. Some of the most well-respected positions in community are those who serve. Think about the police force. Their job is to do what? Protect and to serve. Fire department, they serve by keeping, by keeping us safe, putting out fires. And they do a lot of other things as well. And whenever you see a, a military guy, a veteran, you go up to him, you say, sir, thank you for your service, right? And those are some of the most well-respected well people in the community in, in which we live. And there's many more that can be, that can be talked about. But even, but even the President of the United States, the one who supposedly holds the greatest power in the entire world, but as an elected official, whenever we elect the president, we look to elect someone who will better serve our country. So it's a position of service. And usually the measure of a leader is how well, not, 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 how, not how strong and powerful he was, but, how, how he, um, but actually how he served his people. The greatest leaders will serve their people. So moving forward in this, you know, serving can be simply, can be pretty easy. And having the proper perspective in mind and the proper motivation can simplify things for us. And we might have to change our mindset and the way that we think whenever we come to what greatness truly is. Now, not only looking at what Jesus said, but we can also look at what Jesus did. We don't have to go any further than the Gospels and the example that Jesus Christ lived in his life that shows that he not only said what we should do, he not only said that servanthood was how we our greatness, but he also gave us a great example. Now, if we turn to John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, I'll pull out my ocular enhancers for this lengthy reading here. All right. I'm still struggling with it. It's okay. I'll get it. All right. So starting in chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. He rose from supper and he laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towels with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and he sat down and said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given to you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And not, don't be worried, I'm not going to bring buckets of water out for everybody to pair off. But we have a great example of one of the greatest, not one of the greatest, but the greatest person who ever walked the face of the earth who is serving. In ancient civilizations, you know, it was customary for this to take place. It was customary for there to be uh, water available for people to wash their feet whenever they would come over. The, the host of the house, he would provide water for the person to come in so they could wash their feet because you know, in the cultures, what they wore were sandals. And they were walking around in dirt all the time. Not in the culture that we live in today where our feet stay fairly clean um, whenever in, in our day-to-day practice, in our day-to-day work. But they would either provide the water for them or they would, they would assign a servant to come and wash your feet as you came into the house. Now, this is mentioned several times in the Old Testament as well. Like in Genesis chapter 18, it says, Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves. In Genesis 19, 2, it says, And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into the servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. This is, this is the exchange between the angels and Lot at Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Genesis 19, where they actually had, an, had a servant assigned. It said, and he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And then you may rise early and go on your way. That was the same one. But in 1 Samuel chapter 25, it says, then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maid servant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Now, Jesus was giving an example. He said plainly, this is an example for you. This is an example. You call me Lord, you call me Master, you do well for saying so, but I, as your Master, I, as your Lord, have given you an example by which you are to live by, to serve one another. Now, Jesus' hope is that his disciples, they would pick up on the example of service and then live by it. Now, a few things that we need to consider here is we need to notice the example of Jesus Christ. He put out a great example of service here. How many of you are willing to wash your neighbor's foot? No hands on that one, right? Okay. You know, feet are kind of gross to, to, to me and to a lot of people. I don't want to have to wash your feet. If you come to my house and you want your feet washed, I'll, I'll show you where the bathroom is, but I'm not doing it, okay? It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm hospitable, but not that hospitable. But to live out the example that Jesus Christ has given to us, this example of servanthood, for someone to do a lowly task as this, we need to be able to, to adopt a few different principles. And the first one we're going to talk about is you must put others first. Put other, person, other people's needs before your own. If you're going to be a servant, if you're going to be great, if you're going to follow Jesus' example of greatness and serve, it requires us to put ourselves aside and to put other people first. Make sense so far? One of the biggest keys to servanthood is putting others first. Now, what did Jesus do? Now, what was he about to face? If we go back to verse 1, chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. He knew what was about to happen. He was about to get arrested. He was about to get beaten down, scourged, a crown of thorns, beaten his head, hung on a cross, naked before the people. 
and to be put to death, and yet his concern is to do what? I'm going to teach my disciples what it means to be a servant. I'm going to teach you to serve. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do it by an example, and I'm going to do the lowliest thing that I can possibly do. I'm going to wash your feet. And he put, him, he put, his, um, so he put himself to the side, and he sought out the need of his disciples. And we must, as, as children of God in this world, if we want to achieve the greatness that God desires in our lives, we have, must have that understanding that greatness isn't about what I can get myself, but it's about what I can do for other people. And it requires us to put other people's needs before our very own. You know, we live in a world that's very me-focused. We live in a world that's very me-focused. When it really comes down to it, you know, we're really looking out for our own interests most of the time. And I believe that Satan's been very good at, you know, forming the world to, to that type of a scenario. You know, he's made it very difficult to live. He makes it very difficult for us to get by on a day-to-day -day basis. And we feel like we have to provide the needs that God has already promised us as long as we're faithful to him. And he's got everything kind of flipped around on us to where it focuses on providing for my needs for myself rather than trusting God and doing what he has called us to do and then trusting him for the results. He's got everything flipped around so we are are focused in on ourselves more than the people around us. And it gets us in a wrong direction. And I get it in a lot of times, because a lot of times this will cause us to, to be unhappy, can cause us to lack true joy, because servanthood and following what Jesus Christ has for us in our life is what brings us true joy. And if the world around us is robbing us of that and we're allowing, allowing the world to pull us into their system, then we lack true joy as well. And I understand that because in a day-to-day -day life, I mean, it's like a day-to-day -day grind for many of us, is it not? I mean, it's just it's like, I've got this, I've got this to do, I've got to get this done, I've got to get the bills paid, I've got to get the kids fed, I've got to get them picked up for school. And we have a daily grind in and out and in and out. And then after we look back on our life over the last couple of years, we just feel like we're just turning our wheels and we're not getting anywhere, right? And we get very discouraged because of that because we're just, we, we're just turning the wheels, and we can get discouraged and we can lose our true joy. Because why? Because we're worried about providing for the things that God has already promised to provide. And we're using up all of our energy and our resources doing what God has already promised rather than saying, God, where, where would you have me serve? And then trusting him for the results. So we've got to get off focusing of ourselves. We've got to get in the word and see what God wants us to do. Trust him and then put other people's needs first. You know, we're so wrapped up in ourselves, a lot of times we worry about what other people think as well. You know, we're trying to keep ourselves at a certain level that people can look at, us, look at us and be proud of what we've done. So we can have a reason to puff up our chest and to show people what, what we can do. We're looking for the next thing to, to, uh, to get us a step ahead or to get us the next, the, the next notch up above. And the world mindset has us so caught up that we lose the sight of what God wants us to do. And we lose the sight of the needs of other people. But we're called to be servants. We're called to serve people. We're called to love God and to love man. And we love man by serving God and serving man. So having a proper perspective here of what greatness is, and, and in that, you actually find greatness. But we don't need to really worry about what other people think, do we? No, we don't need to worry about what other people think. We need to worry about what God thinks. We want to be greatness on his scale. How many of you know someone who's a really good servant? who's willing to give you the shirt off their back. What do you think about that person? Did they come up in your mind as, as great whenever I asked the question at the beginning? 
No. But what do you think of them? Man, that person's great. And I had a friend in, in Texarkana. To look at him, you know, not much. He didn't have much. Didn't have much to give. Didn't have much to offer as far as, as, far as things and materials and possessions. But I'm going to tell you, if you overlook that guy, we'll call him Clark, you will overlook a, a tremendous friend. He was in my Sunday school class and we got to know each other. And I kind of, I'm, not, I'm guilty of just kind of overlooking him, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad eventually I had his friendship because that man would do anything in the world for you. He would come to you, he'd find you at the restaurant, he would walk up to your table and say, hey, hey, hey Billy, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing good, Clark, man, how are you doing? How's the kids, how's the family? He's like, and I, I don't, he's like, I don't know why. I said, but, you know, I'd like to pray for you. I feel like God's just leading me to pray for you. Is there anything I can pray for you specifically about? And then he would pray for you. I mean, he was just a great friend who was willing to serve, didn't have a lot to give monetarily or, or, or materially or anything like that, but, man, he had a lot to offer. And you could look over, look over someone like that. But those are the people that God says is great, and that's what the meaning of greatness truly is, someone who is willing to serve. Think about the people around you. I mean, really think about it. The ones who are willing to serve the most are the ones that we have the highest regard for and um, the highest regard and respect for, correct? But whenever we think greatness in the worldly perspective, we're thinking of the power, the influence, the, the success. But in all reality, what's great are those who are willing to serve. And Jesus was no, was no different. He served us in, in the greatest possible way, not just by washing the disciples' feet, but the fact that he gave his life a ransom for many. He gave his life sacrificially and willing to us. But to be truly great is to be a servant. And we need to make sure that we don't shut our eyes out to that. We need to make sure that we're looking for the needs of those and looking into the interests of others. But in the midst of his last evening, as what we saw in verse 1, in the midst of his last evening before he knew what he was going to be facing, he put the needs of the disciples ahead of his own Rather than make it about me, rather, rather than saying, guys, I want you to pray for me. I'm, I'm about to go through some really bad stuff. He said, no. As a matter of fact, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to show you what it means to be great. I'm going to serve all of you. But in order to put others first, it requires us to do the second thing here, which is number three, is you must be willing to put aside your pride. You must be willing to put aside pride to other, you know, in order to put others first. Here's a definition of pride. It says, a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. The achievements of those with whom one is closely associated from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. So it's just a feeling of pleasure or satisfaction derived from your own possessions or your own achievements. And I want you to understand that pride is the enemy of, ser of a servant. It's really, it's really difficult to to serve and be prideful at the same time, right? Really think about it. Anybody ever known, known someone who has the, the attitude or the idea that I'm too good for doing this? I'm above doing this. My time would be better off if I was doing something like this rather than doing the minuscule things over there. We all have some of those thoughts in our minds you know, I don't think any of us would be honest if we didn't feel like some things were below us, but in reality, they shouldn't be. But if we truly want to be great in the eyes of Jesus and, and in the eyes of the people around us, we need to be servants and we have to set our pride aside. In the work of the ministry, there is no room for pride. You know, we all have our part to do. Some are different than others. I don't think any are greater than the others, but we all have our part. 
And each functions together as one body, and, um, and we come together to the world to, for, the, for the sake of the kingdom of God, and we do what God calls us to do. And we must be willing to do that regardless of what it is. Well, that thing, I'm too good to do this thing here. If we look, if we look here at what happened, we have Jesus... Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the creator of all things, who knows all things. In verse 4, he says, He rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. For what jobs do you do do you change clothes? There are many nights whenever I, I, I come home, early in our marriage, I would bum a ride to work and back and I have to come home and change immediately so I can go get underneath the car and start working on it and fix it. It was a dirty job, so I had to do what? I had to change my clothes. When it's time to mow the grass, you don't mow, you don't mow the grass in your good clothes, but you, you change your clothes to go out and do some work because you don't want to mess up your clothes. So what we see, see Jesus doing is he had his supper clothes on, or his everyday clothes, but even his everyday clothes were too good to do the job at hand, which he was about to do. So he takes his clothes off, and he grabs a towel, wraps himself up with it, because it's time to go to work. He's about to serve his disciples. Now, how much pride would you have to swallow to do this job? Uh, quite a bit. Quite a bit. To actually, to actually you know, shed your clothes and to put something on that's actually made for the work that he's about to do. He wrapped himself in the towel and performed the most menial tasks in the world. My question is, is there any task that is beneath you? When it comes to serving the Lord specifically, is there anything that's below you? If God calls you to anything, no matter how minuscule you may think it is in regards to other things that are out there, is there anything that's below you? In our minds, in our hearts, it shouldn't be. Because what, what, what do we see here? In verse 13, he says, You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for I am so. And if then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also to wash another person's feet. If Jesus can serve in a minuscule task as far as washing the feet of his followers, the ones he has already saved, the ones he has given eternal life to, and to, and to gird himself with a towel and to sit down with the same towel that he has girded with and wash their feet for them, there's nothing that is below us. Every task that God lays ahead of you should be a priority in your life to make sure that it gets done because Jesus was willing to do it. Now, how many of y'all have had a boss that demands things that you do that you know that that person wouldn't do? Anybody have a boss like that? I'm the only one? No, okay. All right, we don't like those bosses, do we? No, we don't like those guys. It's like he's asking, he wouldn't do it. We've all faced those types of things, but how many of you like working for the boss or the manager that's willing to get down and, and help you do the tasks that need to be done? Yeah, we, the, we'd like to, we like those. Those are the great ones. The ones who are willing to serve, those are the ones that we hold up as great bosses, as great managers. The story about Dave Thomas, does anybody know who Dave Thomas is? Wendy's, right? Anybody ever had one of his burgers? Yes, he's impacted all of us at one time or another, I'm sure. But Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, he expressed the importance of having an MBA. And that's not a master's in business administration. He didn't even have a high school degree. 
His, he said it was very important for everyone to have an MBA, which is a mop bucket attitude. A mop and bucket attitude is what he did. And he claims to be the only founder of one of America's biggest companies whose picture in the corporate world in the annual report shows him wielding a mop and a bucket dressed in an apron. He believed in having a mop and bucket attitude. And as a matter of fact, when he would visit his restaurants, the owner of Wendy's would actually grab a mop and a bucket and help with the chores within the store. How many of you say, that's a great corporate leader? Absolutely. Why? Because he's willing to serve. He's willing to serve. He's willing to do anything to get the job done alongside you. And in order for us to be great, in order for us to do what God has called us to do and to achieve greatness, we must learn from the example of Jesus. We must put others first, and we must check our pride at the door. Whatever God is calling us to do, no matter how big, no matter how great or how small we may think it is, we need to be willing to do that service to whoever or wherever God calls us to do it. Because Jesus, the Lord, the Master, the Teacher, to the disciples, washed the feet of those disciples who called him Lord and Master. We can learn from this. We must check our, check our pride at the door. And then lastly, now that you've learned from the example, now that you've put other people first and you've checked your pride at the door, now it's time to put it into action. It requires action on our parts. Now, what does verse 17 say? And verse 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So just by knowing these things isn't enough to be blessed, is it? No, he says, blessed if you do these things. If you actually put into action what I have taught you, then you will receive the blessings. Then you will have the joy. Then you will have the peace that passes all understanding. Whenever you do these things, then you are blessed. But improving our level of greatness requires us to improve our level of service, which means we've got to be willing to get our hands dirty. We've got to be willing to go ahead and do it. We, got, we must have the mop bucket attitude whenever it comes to the ministry. We must be willing to put, our, put, our, um, put ourselves out there in order to be used. It's more than just talking about it. It's more than just having, coming up with good ideas, but it's actually putting feet to what we are talking about. It's not about talking the talk. Talking the talk is great, but service comes whenever you decide to walk the walk as well. Service is done in action. Service is done in more than just coming up with the ideas and talking about it. But Jesus said that blessed are those who do them. Knowing them is great, but doing them is where you find the blessings. Doing this is where you will find greatness. Doing this is where you'll find your joy. Doing this is where it is. This is how you achieve greatness. An example that Jesus did is just that, isn't it? He didn't just tell them to wash their feet, did he? No, he washed your feet and said, this is what you should be doing to one another. By my example, I have lived out in front of you. So the question we can ask ourselves is that, is that who, who in our lives do we know that needs to be served? Is it a friend? Is it a parent, grandparent? Is it a boyfriend or girlfriend, sister, neighbor? All of those people. Do we have, are there other needs out there that we are able to meet? And the most in question part 
is not only do we see the needs, not only do we see the, the places where we, we, we can understand and know where God's calling us, the question is not what is it, but the, you know, the question is, is what, am I willing to do it? Am I going to trust God in doing this? Am I going to lay down the line? Am I going to swallow my pride? Am I going to reach out to the people around me and serve them the way Jesus has served me? So we've got the greatest, we've got the greatest example in Jesus Christ. And we, if, if we are going to really have this mindset, you know, of a follower of Jesus Christ and, and come to the, the servant ability, we really have to put things in perspective to what Jesus has done. Okay, if you can compare yourself to the world around you and the people around you, you're going to be doing okay. You're going to be able to meet that level some way or the other. But if you look at the level of service that Jesus has given you and compare it to what you are giving others, you're going to find that you're going to be dimmed in comparison. Because remember, Jesus, the Lord, the Creator, the Master, the God of everything, came down from heaven in the form of a man to be persecuted, to be ridiculed, to go through life suffering the same temptations and everything that we faced, and to give his life willingly for you in order that you may have eternal life. Now, that is a servant. He came as a lowly servant to give you something that you didn't even deserve. And when we look at, look at that, we look at our lives and our service in perspectives of what Jesus has done, there is nothing that we should not be willing to do whenever he calls us to do it. Service to people where God has called us, for us to say, no, I'm too good for that is a crazy thought when things are in perspective. So we must have a right perspective whenever it comes to doing this. So we must be able to put it into action. We must put our love to, towards people in action. Love is serving, love, love in serving one another, it does require us to do things. It's required more than words. And we'll finish up here in just a minute with this last verse. In, in uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse, um, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, this is what it says. It says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. John is encouraging his readers at this, at this point that love is more than just a thought. Love is more than just a desire to help, but love requires us to do it in by deed, by action. It's time to get aboard and start working and doing things, putting action to what our thoughts um, that God has, God has given us to, to move forward on. But in conclusion, I'm going to leave you with a challenge this week. I'm going to leave you with a challenge this week. The first thing is I want us to do is every day this week, I want you to ask God to make you a servant. But understand, in asking for God to make you a servant, serving, servanthood is where greatness is found. Second, I want you to be open to opportunities to serve. Keep your eyes and your ears open for opportunities. If you start praying that God will make you a servant, he's going to open up opportunities, but be ready for them when they happen. Be willing and ready whenever they, they show them when they show themselves. And to whoever you may serve, whether it's your family, friends, strangers, community, or within your church, and a good place to start is that little, little handout. Have y'all seen these before? That it's in your bulletin? Yes. We have a lot of work that needs to be done here. 
And we need you guys to volunteer uh, for, these, for, these, um, for these positions so we can move forward with the way that God is leading us to go. You look over that, pray about that. Uh, I think I got about 12 or 15 out of a group of about 110. Okay, so we could use a few more. We have, we, have, we have a bigger need than what 10 or 15 can cover. So please pray about that and pray for God to, uh, to speak to your heart concerning that. But to be open to the opportunities. But not only that, lastly, once that opportunity shows itself, commit it to action. Whether it's individually, whether it's within a Sunday school class or community outreach, something with the church, let's commit it to action and be willing to move forward with it. And lastly, to wrap this all up, if you want to be great, you must put others first, put your pride aside, and then put service into action. Let's stand. Let's have a word of invitation. Father, we want to thank you so much for today. Father, we thank you so much for the example of servanthood that you have shown to us through your great sacrifice and offer of grace to each and every one who will bow their knee to you in repentance and faith towards Jesus. Father, seeing the great example that you have shown us, Father, may we live our lives with that same love towards people. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would just burden our hearts to serve you by serving people. Show us where we need to work. Show us the, the needs that are out there, Father. Father, we're going to trust you for the resources. We'll trust you for the abilities. Father, I pray that each and every one of us will, will stand before you with our arms up saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I will. Just show me where to go. Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.